This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you here. As always, thank you for joining so much on this uh, wonderful Monday. Really appreciate you making the time to hang out with me. And those of you who have been joining on the nightly show on Premier Radio Networks. 100 stations across the country. Also, go to iHeart uh, Media's app or go to AmericanNowRadio.com to listen. I appreciate that, team. It's been awesome to have all of you uh, with me there. And every time I get a call and somebody it's kind of fun. It's like the secret handshake of Team Buck whenever someone calls in and I'm on that show and they throw in a little shields high, you know, either at the beginning or the end. So uh, all of you are the greatest. And, and I'm getting calls also in from... Some of the Saturday show folks, which obviously I get a tremendous uh, kick out of that. I I really appreciate that, too. Uh, It's amazing that I've been with some of you now for, gosh, it's going on. This is year four, I suppose. So I I really do feel like I know you all, even the ones I haven't spoken to. And uh, I I greatly appreciate every single one of you. It is a gift to be able to spend time with you, even if it sometimes is your ears and my voice. But it it is a gift, and I, I... cannot thank you all enough for it and that so many of you are supportive of my new endeavor and and along with me for all this look if I have the team with me we're going to be very very successful and I make a difference in the lives not just of people who listen to the show I I hope in in ways large and small mostly small but maybe sometimes large Um, but also I think we can have an impact on the national conversation that's coming I don't mean to sound grandiose but we're, we're going to get there um, with all of you by my side, Shields High. That will happen. So thank you all for that. And it's going to be another really exciting week on Buck Saxon with America now. And, of course, here in the Freedom Hut, uh, 12 to 2 on the Blaze Radio Network, as per usual. So uh, some thoughts on the latest. Uh, I have a feeling you're going to see all kinds of activity from the Trump team in the, uh, in the, week, in the week ahead here. Uh, over the weekend, you saw the beginnings of, or sh- I should say, a redo of this fight that's been brewing for a little while over voter ID. You will recall that Trump uh, said not long ago 
that he said that, or was it one of his advisors? I think it was Trump himself. There were three million fake votes and that that cost him the election. And I got to tell you, uh, this notion of three million fake votes, it sounds like a lot to me. And we've had on uh, Mark Krikorian, who's one of these great guys that is super knowledgeable about a subject and completely unpretentious about it and just wants to get the information out there. You know, it's not it's not about him grandstanding. It's just about him telling the American people the truth. I, I think Mark does a great job in the, in the Center for Immigration Studies, which he runs, is a really important organization because on immigration, as much as any issue I can think of, that's a major policy dispute right now. There's so much skewing of the facts and figures to fit political narrative. There's so much going on that is really just a function of them uh, trying to stack the deck for one side and just, oh, we're a nation of immigrants. And, oh, it's, it's, it's horrifying, this idea that we would ever tell anybody they can't stay in this country because they're doing the jobs Americans won't do. It's amazing when you step back and you think about how powerful the propaganda over immigration has been, uh, how much of what we see as uh, immigration is really fed to us subliminally. I mean, you, using the tactics of you know, advertising agencies and, and, and propaganda uh, so that your first reaction is always, you know, we're a nation of immigrants. I mean, that's been so uh, seared into all of our brains and that there are jobs that wouldn't get done, that our fields would go unpicked or fallow or whatever, you know, that our agricultural sector would fall apart if it wasn't for illegal immigrant labor. When in reality, there are a lot of, there have been plenty of studies and, and instances that have been studied of mechanization of farms that, yeah, uh, once they do that, it's an upfront investment, but then they don't have to worry about personnel costs and they don't have to employ illegal, illegal labor to do it. So you just hear all this stuff and look, the, the desire to sound smart for all of us is very real all of the time. And I'm not saying that it influences all of our opinions. And, and look, if I wanted to sound smart in the, in the big sense of things, in the, ooh, how can this advance my career? I'm, I'm, a, Manhattan born, uh, I'm a Manhattan born and raised kid who would be in much professionally, in many more options, much better shape, and would be surrounded by people who would want to hear my opinions. I would get invited at my former employer, the Council on Foreign Relations, to go talk about things. I'd be invited to speak at NYU. I'd be invited to speak. I don't mean just by the college Republicans. I mean by the university. If I were a liberal, if I just adopted those postures, honestly, it would it would help me. Uh, it would help me socially. I'm sure if I were an MSNBC approved or CNN liberal approved uh, left wing pundit, I'd be doing all kinds of fun things out on the dating scene and it would be great for me. Right. But that's just not who I am and that's not what I'm about. And so I spend my time with you trying to bring you the truth. Uh, but I'm always aware of the fact that on for, especially for people that follow politics as more of a, as a, I shouldn't say a hobby that diminishes it, but it, it's a part of their daily routine, but it's not, it's not what their career is about. It's not what their profession is about. People want to sound like they're informed and to sound informed and sound informed sounds smart, really the same thing. And on immigration, that means repeating certain mantras. And, and quite honestly, on on voting, it also means repeating 
certain mantras. Uh, the left has really pushed this idea for for at least for a couple of decades now that there's no such thing as voter fraud. And this pops up and, and people who think of themselves as really erudite, as really well-informed will say things like there's no such thing as voter fraud. And then you do a quick Google search and you'll find out, as we saw over this past weekend, or I think it was on Friday that this, this came, in, came out in the news, that a, a Texas woman has received eight years in prison for being a non-citizen who has re, who's voted multiple times. And at least according to the prosecution, and look, I say that, I haven't read the court transcripts myself yet. I'm going to try to track them down. But at least according to the prosecution, which you got to always take that with a big grain of salt because the prosecutors are trying to get something done and they're obviously invested in a certain narrative that's not always... It's not always a neutral middle ground. In fact, it rarely is. It's usually trying to destroy the defendant. Uh, but they say that the jury, because eight years sounds like a long time for voter fraud, I'll be honest with you. And the jury, you, you, don't get, you won't necessarily get eight years for like stabbing somebody in, in, in the neck with a pen. I mean, uh, well, maybe you will, but it depends on what happens to them. Um, but eight years would seem like a long time. But the prosecutor said that the jury clearly thought that this was done with forethought and uh, malice of intent. Uh, so I will dig into that one more. But the, the the underlying point here is that clearly there's voter fraud because people are going to prison for voter fraud. So it's a real thing that exists. Um, but the debate over voter fraud is fraught with all these other um, subplots on the political scene. And we see that the, the left is very, they become very uncomfortable when you start to push on this a little bit. And... Just imagine for a second, as a thought, as a thought experiment, which I know I like to do here on the show. But imagine, if you would, that there are that, that there were a hundred thousand illegal votes cast in this last election. Now, given that there are at least eleven million illegal immigrants in the country, and given that there are plenty of people who are permanent residents who are not allowed to vote, right? Green card does not equal voting. Is 100,000 of, let's say, that number of, I don't know, 15 or 20 million, just as a guess, of people who are in the United States, in the boundaries, that you know, on the territory of the United States that are here but are not legally allowed to vote. If it's 15 or 20 million, does 100,000 of them voting sound like a huge number to you? It doesn't sound like a huge number to me. Sounds like what I would what I would I don't think it's three million. I, I can't go along with what the Trump team says until they act until they give me real evidence that they're not just pulling this out of thin air. But a hundred thousand, yeah, I could I could believe that for, for sure. Across the entirety of the country with what about over a hundred and twenty million votes cast or something, whatever it was, uh, or over a hundred million votes cast. Uh, then I, I would think that a hundred thousand votes that are illegal votes, many of them, by the way, not done with uh, malice, many of them not necessarily instances of people who are voting and who are doing so specifically to undermine the integrity of our election processes. And and, and I, I completely concur. I, I get that. And now that doesn't mean it's not a huge problem for our democratic system or as people put it's a republic, not a democracy. I know, but can we, you know, we have voting and it's... <laughs> I don't want to get too, you're going to get too bogged down on this. This is like when people say it's not 2468, who do we appreciate? It is 2468, whom do we appreciate? You know, at the end of a sports event, that's what we used to have to do, at least when I was a kid. 
two, four, six, eight. Whom do we appreciate? People will throw their mitts and you know baseball hats at you. But anyway, uh, this looking at this now, it's it's a huge debate because even if it's only a hundred thousand votes, well, you look at the margins of victories a victory in key states and. You start to spread that around and, you know, 10 or 15,000 votes here or there in the presidential election could really matter. And who knows? It depends on where they are, right? In the case of Florida in 2000, hundreds of votes mattered. And that was the deciding state. So voting and uh, election integrity is a really important issue because why did we all sit around and accept Barack Obama as commander in chief for eight years? Well, despite the fact that I think that he was uh, ideologically um, very damaging to the country, and I think he was very divisive, and I think he had bad... Po- all of that. I mean, we could, I could speak about that for the whole show today. I'm not going to do that because we're in the Trump era now, and only as a means of illustrating today do I plan to reach back into the Obama years. So it'll happen, but I'm going to try not to be somebody who well, Obama was terrible, so what Trump does isn't that bad. I mean, you know. I think that's I think that can get lazy. So I'm going to try to only do that as necessary. Um, But I accepted Obama as president, as a U.S. citizen, because I was of the belief and under the impression. And, you know, you you could start to go down a conspiracy theorist route here with, well, you don't really know, do you, Buck? And no, I don't know. I don't get to count the votes myself. But I have a it is a belief founded on evidence which can be provided. And I think that's where it becomes more than just belief as in almost a a theological belief or something, but it is a belief that the system uh, had votes cast and that a Barack Obama, at the end of the day, won more votes than both John McCain and Mitt Romney. And I believe that. And so I, I had to accede to his authority as president of the United States as a U.S. citizen and actually hope that he would do some good things, too. I wasn't, I wasn't somebody who just was on the I hate Obama, everything Obama does is terrible train. I, I really wanted him to do things that I'd say, wow, he's surprising me. That's, you know, if, if Obama had, I promise you this, if Obama had said, we're going to have a flat tax of 15%, I would have been out there with a yay Obama sign on the street, okay? I would have been one of those people that takes time out of their day to you know, stand around with a sign that people can take photos of at some protest or demonstration about how great Obama was doing on that one issue. I, I wouldn't say, oh, flat tax, if Obama pushes it, it's terrible. No. Because you know what? I don't want to pay what I have to pay in taxes. I think 15% overall would be great. And no more no more of this games and deductions and paying an accountant. No, no, no. So I would have been all for that. Um, but, you know, what, what I see... Oh, anyway, so you get what I'm saying about the process. So we got to believe in the process. It really matters. Imagine there are 100,000 votes cast that are, illegal, that are illegal votes. That undermines faith in the process a lot. And, and recall the Democrats were very sanctimonious on this issue when they thought that Hillary, when they were sure Hillary was going to win, it was all how Trump wasn't going to accept the results. Well, Trump did win. And Hillary's people didn't really accept the results. The media has tried to undermine the results with the whole Russian hacking and fake news. And we've gone over this a bunch of times. But what if 100,000 fake votes were cast? People keep saying, well, there's no evidence of that. There's definitely a lot of smoke. I'm not saying we see a big blazing fire, but there is smoke. People register to vote in multiple states. That's concerning. The biggest concern, though, has to do with something we've discussed before on this show, which is the motor voter law that registers people who can get driver's licenses. And you can get a driver's license, as you know, in states like California without 
providing any form of uh, citizenship, right? You don't have to be a citizen. You can get a driver's license. So there's talent. They're giving people, many of whom do not speak very good, if any, English. And they're giving them a form that says, you know, here's your driver's license. And, oh, vote. Register to vote. Here's your registration. Well, it's understandable. And we've talked, as again, Mark Krikorian talked about this on this show over at the Center for Immigration Studies. It's understandable why somebody who's given that form would think, okay, well, I'm allowed to vote now. And that doesn't make it okay. It does. I think it does relieve their criminal responsibility for voting at, at some level. But I think also this is why do Democrats want voter registrations passed out of the DMV along with clearly there's a conflation going on there. Clearly there's some possibility of this happening. Anyway, I want to get into the details of this because I think it's a real issue. I think the Trump team is handling it poorly, unsurprising to many of you to hear me say that, I'm sure. But I, I think they're making this harder on themselves than it has to be. And I'll have more thoughts for you on this in just a second, team. Uh, 888-900-3393 is the phone. The lines are open. I'll be right back. Let your voice be heard. Hello. 888-900-3393. On the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Buck Sexton, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey team, welcome back. Great to have you here in the Freedom Hunt with me as always. Don't forget to tune in tonight to Buck Sexton with America Now, syndicated on over 100 stations across the country. Yeah! Uh, You just go to AmericanOutRadio.com if you want to listen live uh, at 6 to 9 Eastern, or you can listen to On Demand. And we are working on a download of that podcast, just so you know. I know it's not downloadable, but it is playable on your smartphone or on your computer. So you can listen whenever you want. It's just not, can't really retrieve it. It have to be logged into the, not logged, I mean, you have to be on the site. So go to AmericanOutRadio.com slash podcast for that. Uh, so I want to talk to you a bit about the way the Trump team is handling this. Um, over the weekend, Fox News, major story, they were running on it with enormous evidence, according to a Trump advisor, this guy, Stephen Miller who's really young, he's 31 years old. I never even heard of this guy before. I don't know really anything about him. Trump apparently loves him. Uh, but he was on with George Stephanopoulos over the weekend, Mr. Fancy George, uh, who is a $100 million man for ABC News. Why? I don't know. It's just good to be hooked up with the Clintons and the Democrat left, I guess. 
Uh, this guy is replaceable by about a thousand different news anchors, but they want to pay him a hundred million dollars. I guess it's technically what the market will bear. It's at least what executives at ABC will pay him. But here's how some of the exchange went. I'll play it for you. As well, President Trump again uh, this week suggested in a meeting with senators that thousands of illegal voters were bused from Massachusetts to New Hampshire, and that's what caused his def uh, his defeat in the state of New Hampshire, also the defeat of, of Senator Kelly Ayotte. That has provoked a response from a member of the Federal Election Commission, Ellen Weintraub, who says, I call upon the president to immediately share New Hampshire voter fraud evidence so that his allegations may be investigated promptly. Uh, do you have that evidence? I've actually, having worked before on a campaign in New Hampshire, I can tell you that this issue of busing voters into New Hampshire is widely known by anyone who's worked in New Hampshire politics. It's very real. It's very serious. This morning on this show is not the venue for me to lay out all the evidence, but I can tell you this. Voter fraud is a serious problem in this country. You have millions of people who are registered in two states or who are dead or who are registered to vote, and you have 14% of non-citizens according to academic research, at a, at a minimum, are registered to vote, which is an astonishing statistic. You can't there make is, a, hold on a second. You just claimed again that there was illegal voting in, in New Hampshire, people busting from the state of Massachusetts. Do you have evidence I'm to back anybody, that up? I'm saying George. All right, so hold on. First of all, don't you love how Stephanopoulos isn't even hiding his contempt for this guy at all? On other shows, you know, if you're on CNN and you're a Democrat, the way they ask this question is, well, wait, can you clarify for me? You know, they do it in a way that it shows respect, even if they're going to push back on a non-answer to the claim. Here, Stephanopoulos is going after this guy. He's letting everybody at home know, I don't like this guy. I think he's a clown. Hey, anyway, we're going to hit this more team on the other side of the brick. I'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show. Speak your mind. 888-900-3393. Hey team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Uh, sponsor this hour is silencershop.com. There is simply no place that is better for you to go than silencershop.com to get a silencer for your firearm. They have the best selection, they have the best prices, and if you're going to do the paperwork right, these are the guys that can help you get it done right and quickly and effectively so that you can wait the minimum amount of time and get yourself a silencer. Once you do, you're going to love it. It makes the whole shooting experience more enjoyable, and it means you're going to have more fun wherever you're shooting, wherever you are, out there on the range, indoor, outdoor, you name it. You want to protect your ears, enjoy yourself more. Go to silencershop.com. Again, that is silencershop.com. Help make the world a quieter place. Okay, so back to uh, Stephanopoulos, Mr. Stephanopoulos, and Stephen Miller on this exchange, this testy exchange, right? Because right before we ended the break, we had Stephanopoulos being uh, very terse with Miller because he doesn't have to show this guy any respect. He doesn't have to, you know, he can just be as nasty to him as he wants to be, and that's all well and good. That's all fine um, because he's showing his audience that I detest this guy because he's part of the Trump squad. Now, this Miller guy is not exactly a, a warm and fuzzy, charming, suave individual, I have to say. He comes across to me as, as a little uh, a, a little smug. Gotta, I gotta, I'm just going to say it. He's a little smug. Um, and he doesn't answer the key question that's posed to him here, which is where is the evidence of it? 
I'm hoping that the Trump team at some point is going to provide some of this evidence because I do think it is I think it's out there. And if they can't really provide smoking gun evidence of actual voting uh, voter fraud going on, then they should at least show the circumstantial evidence. And that's really what they've that's really what they've done so far. I always find it fascinating, by the way. I think this is from generations now that have, have grown up watching Law and Order. Um, where oh here here's a spoiler for you the show Law and Order it's always the uh, it's always the the preppy white guy who's the who's actually the murderer if that's an option if preppy white guy is an option on Law and Order uh, pr- pr- preferably one uh, preferably one preferably can you say that or preferably two uh, one who has you know, a mom who's always walking around with like a, a mink on her shoulders and who's like, well, like we didn't think if we left Johnny alone for the weekend, you know, we didn't know that he'd end up murdering somebody. You know, it's a lot of that, <laughs> a lot of that on Law and Order. I'm just saying. Uh, so whenever that's an option, whenever a uh, rich white guy is an option for the possible murderers or rapists on Law and Order, that, that's your guy. That's your guy. It's just something I've noticed. Uh, Ann Coulter's actually pointed it out in one of her books, too. I thought it was really funny because I. I agree. It's a surprisingly common. Yeah, it's yeah. You know, there's a little bit of class warfare stuff going on with law and order. Anyway, people always say, oh, that evidence is circumstantial. Oh, that evidence is circumstantial. As though if your lawyer walked into a court of law and was like, I mean, can you prove that my guy was there? Do you have an eyewitness? No, we're out of here. No, it doesn't work like that. What it really comes down to is when you're in a criminal trial, what does the jury think? They believe you or not. And circumstantial evidence, when it's strong enough, sends people to prison all the time. Circumstantial evidence. You look at, uh, here, here's a good, you look at the O.J. Simpson case. Uh, yeah, there was a lot, a lot of that evidence. Was, there was no eyewitness, right? So they had no eyewitness testimony that he was there. So it was all based on you know the DNA and everything else. And everybody, who I think, who has... Any basic faculties of, of reason and judgment assessment, of course, is like, well, that guy's guilty. But it's all the evidence was all circ. It was circumstantial. It was just overwhelming circumstantial evidence. But that's the case uh, in in many of these uh, instances where people should go or do go to prison for a long period of time. So uh, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence around voter fraud. Um, you, there's some direct evidence, but it's it's de minimis right now. But there's a lot of circumstantial evidence. If it's not happening, we should know. And if it is happening, we definitely need to know. So why there's but there's such hostility. And here's the problem. I'm just going to put it out there. There's hostility from Democrats about this, because if we find out that there's real voter fraud, we know they're complicit. We know they're complicit in this. They are pushing for the uh, for more lax, uh, more loose, open ended voter rules all the time. Every time voter ID they don't like, uh, they want they want people being able to vote over long periods of time. They just in every way, in every way that they possibly can, they are opposed to strengthening protections over uh, voter ID, voter ID, and and strengthening the protections we have in place to prevent voter fraud during elections. And it would be clear to any honest, reasonable American. That if there was widespread voter fraud, and if they and if this was proven, when I mean widespread, I mean I think fifty thousand, a hundred thousand votes. I think that's a big deal. 
I think even 10,000 votes, depending on the circumstances. I mean, not necessarily in a presidential election it would matter, but it could. But that's a big deal. Especially when you figure you can probably prevent this. I mean, look at the way that they treat guns. You know, they want massive databases and fingerprinting and and all sorts of, you know, they did everything. I mean, they just, you know, they put you through, and especially in these blue states, they put you through all kinds of stuff. So you, it's a constitutionally protected right. And they make it as difficult as possible. With voting, there's there's no uh, there's no process that you can put in place. There's nothing that you can do when it comes to uh, voting and voter ID that they will view as legitimate. It's just walk in and vote. They're not okay with any checks on the system, with any, because they say, oh, it disenfranchises people. It disenfranchises minorities. In states where they have free ID for people, where you need ID to open a checking account, where you need ID to get into a, a commercial office building, where you need, I mean, there's all sorts of things where you need ID. But no, 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 no. They, they've got a problem with it. They, they are not okay with it. So that's what, what's at issue here is really the integrity of the Democratic Party. Ultimately, that's why there's such uh, anger whenever you raise this, because they don't want they don't want this to be exposed. Look, there are Democrats, there are leftists who would like it if there was cheating going on. They don't care at all. We've seen organizations that are pushing for that, that sort of thing. We've seen organizations and individuals who clearly whatever they have to do to win, they'll do. But I mean, for the the middle uh, let's call it the middle 60%, not the 20% hard right, not the 20% hard left, although that's that's a completely imperfect extrapolation of, but I'm just saying, the, the middle 60% of America, maybe the middle 40% of America, there we go. Uh, for the middle 40% of America, politically speaking, they see the Democratic Party giving up their franchise, giving up the franchise of citizens for non-citizens and doing it knowing that it's happened with a reckless disregard for basic procedures that could stop it from happening, I think that that's, I think that's a game changer. Now, I, I, I don't know if it's happening. I do know that it's an issue that should get really serious. I mean, you know, the same way. It's funny because they would lecture us on how, oh, you know, what do we... Meanwhile, they're the ones crying. Oh, show us how voter fraud matters, but they're crying about climate change all the time. Some, someone show me how in America climate change... Oh, then they're going to talk about how there's what wetter storms or bigger storms, and it's not even true, and... It's nonsense. But they're going to tell us about how we should spend really trillions of dollars on combating an imaginary problem. I'm not saying it's an imaginary phenomenon. The climate does get warmer. The climate does get colder. And that does change things. But that this is some crisis that we all have to address is just complete and utter nonsense. Um, but I'm not, uh, you know, they'll lecture us on that. And then we talk about voter ID or, or voting uh, voter protections, and they've got they got nothing for us. They got absolutely uh, nothing that they are willing to compromise on. They're so clearly in the tank for illegal voting; it is insane. Um, I know in the tank for legal voting, strong way to put it, but they don't care. They because they figure that anybody who's going to be voting illegally is most likely going to be voting Democrat. That's their because of look who's in this country, who's an adult, who's not allowed to vote, felons. Okay, they always want it. They always try to look at Terry McAuliffe in Virginia. They're always trying to find ways to give felons the right to vote again. So they're already on board for giving felons the right to vote. And then you look at some of the other uh, possible places where it's like, well, permanent residents and illegal immigrants. 
you know, non-citizen residents and illegal immigrants. That's where, and we know that they vote overwhelmingly Democrats. So that's what this is all about. But I don't think the Trump team is making that case effectively. Here's more of the exchange with Stephanopoulos and Steve Miller. Go to New Hampshire, talk to anybody who's worked in politics there for a long time. Everybody's aware of the problem in New Hampshire with respect to I'm asking you as the White House senior with po- Hold on to- a second. I'm asking you as the White House senior policy advisor. The president made a statement saying he was the victim of voter fraud. People the being president, the from president, Massachusetts the president New was. Do you and, have and any evidence? Look at how just, just smarmy and disrespectful to this guy Miller Stephanopoulos is. People say, oh, he's just being a journalist. Do you think George Stephanopoulos would speak in that tone, in that way, to David Axelrod, Valerie, when they when Obama was president, David Axelrod, Valerie Jarrett, name your senior White House advisor. Do, do you think that he'd take, not that he would push back, I'm sure he'd push back sometimes, you know, do the whole dog and pony show of look at me, look at me, I'm a journalist. But with the snide, sneering tone, really listen to the exchange. You can tell Stephanopoulos is signaling to his audience that this guy Miller is disgusting and I hate Trump. If this is an issue that interests you, then we can talk about it more in the future. And we now have our governance beginning to get stood up, but we have the Department of Justice and we have more officials. An issue of voter fraud is something we're going to be looking at very seriously and very hard. But the reality is, is that we know for a fact you have massive numbers of non-citizens registered to vote in this country. Nobody disputes that. And many, many highly qualified people like Chris Kobach, the Kansas Secretary of State have looked deeply into this issue and have confirmed it to be true and have put together evidence. And I suggest you invite Chris Kobach onto your show and he can walk you through some of the evidence of voter fraud have, in have greater pro- detail. Right, just for the right, you have provided absolutely no evidence. The president's made a statement. Uh, the White House has provided enormous evidence with respect to voter fraud, with respect to people being registered in more than one state, dead people voting, non-citizens being registered to vote. George, it is a fact, and you will not deny it, that there are many... No, he will. He will deny it, by the way. Massive numbers of non-citizens in this country who are registered to vote. That is a scandal. We should stop the presses. And as a country, we should be aghast about the fact that you have people who have no right to vote in this country registered to vote, canceling out the franchise of lawful citizens of this country. That's the story we should be talking about. And I'm prepared to go on any show, anywhere, anytime and repeat it and say the president of the United States is correct. One hundred percent. Well, you re- you just repeated that you just made those declarations. But for the record, you provided zero evidence that the president was the victim of massive voter fraud in New Hampshire. You provided we, we, zero evidence. Anyone who's worked in New on. Hampshire politics is familiar with that You provided zero course. evidence that the president's claim that he would have won the general, the, the popular if the, if three to five million illegal immigrants hadn't voted. Zero evidence for either one of those claims. Well, it's, it's, it's Thanks right. a lot for joining us this issue. morning. Yeah. Thanks a lot for, yeah, that really sounded authentic, didn't it? I, I know I'm focusing on the tone here a little bit, but really, thanks a lot, you jerk, is what he's saying there. Uh, look, I this guy Miller, he should have more than just the suggestions of voter fraud. He should come, he should come ready to play. And saying Chris Kobach has more evidence, well, Chris Kobach's not on TV, man, so... You got to get this done yourself. But then there's another version of, of, of events here that you can take or another perspective on this. And that is the following, that the Trump team, by antagonizing, just by simply antagonizing the media, the Trump team wins. That the Trump team, just by getting the media so fired up and riled up on this issue, is winning in a sense. I don't know. If, I'm not saying that's true, but... 
I do think a lot of Trump supporters just like it when he or his surrogates goad uh, goads the media. I really do. All right, team, we got to hit a break. I'll be right back. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Hey team, welcome back. So in case you needed uh, any more evidence about how the media plays the game that they play, you've got David Brooks over at the New York Times, one of their two conservative columnists. Ross Douthat is much, much better uh, in general than, than Brooks is, better writer and, and also more willing to be actually conservative on some issues. But here is here is the New York Times version of a of a conservative on Trump and the immigration, uh, the immigration ban. So whether it's unconstitutional or not, I leave to others. But it certainly has sucked the wind out of two uh, or three weeks of this administration for no good reason. There is uh, there has never been evidence that people from these countries are disproportionately likely to commit terrorist acts. We've sent chaos to the airports. We've offended the world. Uh, we've derailed the administration. We've done it in such an incompetent way, the administration has, that people with perfectly res- legal residents have been widely inconvenienced. Uh, and so it's just been a, a, a screw-up from beginning to end. Uh, and so it's just been a running um, derailment. And markets are... Yeah, there's a real, there's a real stalwart conservative. First of all, I love this dodge of, well, I, don't, I leave it to others if it's conservative. Really, dude, you're an opinion columnist. All you do is read and write all day long, or, you know, theoretically. And you have no opinion on whether this is constitutional or not? Yeah, right. Just because you know that you'll get crushed on that argument. It's obviously a constitutional... Uh, obviously a constitutional action, and he knows he would lose that debate if he was ever forced on it, so he just defers. But I also love this. There's no greater no greater risk of, of terrorism from individuals in those countries, really. Does he look at the country reports on terrorism from the State Department? I, is he aware of the prevalence of terrorism in Iraq by Iraqis, in Yemen by Yemenis, in, I mean, just go down the list, in Somalia by Somalis? Yeah, they suffer from that terrorism and it's even worse in the Muslim world than it is here. But this blanket statement that there's no greater likelihood for there to be terrorism from those countries than there is anywhere else, that's just insane. Does he really does he really think that an Iraqi is no more likely by the numbers statistically to commit terrorism than somebody from Estonia? Does he really think that? I mean, is he a moron? No, he's just a politically correct wimp. And this is the New York Times version of a conservative. Just want to point that all out to you. Our team, hour two, coming up. 888-900-3393. The Buck will be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Hey team, welcome back to hour two in the Freedom Hunt. Great to have you here as always. 888 900 3393 on the phones. 
Uh, also, make sure you join me tonight if you're listening now on Buck Saxon with America Now. If you are in a place where you can listen on the radio, which is very exciting, because that's not something that I've had until last week, really, at least not on a regular basis, not every day, um, please do tune in. But uh, also, if you're in a place where you don't have me on the radio, uh, you can listen via your computer or your smartphone. All you need is an internet connection. You just go to AmericanOutRadio.com and you can press play live. Or if you missed the show and you want to listen to it afterwards, please go to AmericanOutRadio.com slash podcast. Now, uh, I got into this a little bit last week because this, of course, is much of the debate right now over immigration, the immigration executive order that was dominated the news cycle last week. And it was, of course, uh, over, well, I shouldn't say overturned, but the stay, the restraining order on Trump's immigration order will stay, I don't know how to say this, <laughs> will stay in effect, uh, despite the fact that the arguments against it are flimsy from a constitutional perspective, and it creates a whole host of other uh, problems, including the right of non-U.S. citizens to challenge their ability to come into this country in a U.S. court, as though they have some right to sue for access to America. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? Where does that stop and start? I don't know. Um, but behind a lot of this, you just have this, and it's been very interesting how the, how the left has progressed with this. Um, they really do create the perception, at least among their followers, and they try to push this on everyone else, that any uh, objections to any part of Islamic ideology, Islamist ideology, even jihadist ideology, is really just a form of, of racism. And they say this because there's this, uh, they're, they're, well, Islam is a predominantly, but not certainly not entirely, uh, non-white religion around the world. Um, there are plenty. Look at a a Chechen or a Muslim from the Caucasus regions, for for region, for example, and you'll see somebody who's as as white, Caucasian, as white as white can be. Uh, I've met Palestinians who had red hair and blue eyes and and skin that's every bit as white as mine. I mean, you, you go down the list here, uh, and there's even Nuristanis from Nuristan province in Afghanistan who are, at least by legend, the descendants of Alexander the Great and his invasion of Southwest Asia, that was where he finally uh, got turned back and met his end. Um, they have, some of them have blonde hair and blue eyes, whether that's because of Alexander the Great, I, I think that's probably just, uh, it's not an urban legend because I don't think there's really a city in Nuristan to speak of, not, not a major one at least, uh, but it's a legend. So, but they, they've created this because they realize that racial politics in this country are very divisive, but very useful to the Democratic Party and accusations of racism are incredibly potent uh, political weapons. And they wield those political weapons to the best of their ability all the time. That's what they like to do. So you'll get, for example, a Bernie Sanders going on Meet the Press with host Chuck Todd of NBC. And this is, this is of course, what Bernie Sanders is going to claim about the immigration order. What you just heard Mr. Miller say is a shell game. While where there's a whole lot of discussion about the racist, in my view, immigration policies of the Trump administration, which are based on anti-Muslim ideology, which are doing us enormous harm all over the world. Something else is going on at the exact same moment. Okay, hold on. I want to, I want to tackle this one first. 
anti-Muslim ideology. I, I, I wish we, that the press, if the press was really trying to do their jobs, they should ask every Democrat who claims that Trump's executive order is rooted and motivated by bigotry. They should ask, uh, do you think that the Islamic world causes a disproportionate amount of terrorism globally? They should be forced to answer that question and not and not allow the well, you know, it's a very complicated and U.S. foreign policy and this, that, and the, you know, you know, we're here, we're there, we're everywhere, we're doing all the stuff. And, you know, you know, sometimes we bomb the wrong people. We create terrorists by bombing. No, no, Bernie, answer the question. Is the Muslim world, which is one point six billion of the world's seven billion people, is the Muslim world responsible for a disproportionate amount of violence in the name of a coherent and somewhat unified religious political ideology, is the Muslim world responsible for a disproportionate share? That's not the same thing. And then they'll go, oh, are you trying to say that all Muslims are terrorists? No one's saying that, Bertie. Are you you're trying to say that there's no other terrorism? Well, what about Timothy McVeigh? I mean, you know, you'll get people referring back to 1993 or you get people referring back to uh, other Incidents. Oh, what what about this guy here or there who did this terrible thing? It's you know. uh, Can you answer the question? Because the answer to that question is really a determining factor in whether or not the American people trust some of these bozos on this issue. Because if you can't say, if you're not willing to come out and say that the Islamic world is responsible for a disproportionate amount of terrorism, and therefore, when dealing with counterterror issues. You have to put a greater focus on the Islamic world. If you're not willing to say that, people don't really want to hear the rest of what you have to say on this. Because you have failed a very basic test of honesty and rationality. And you've failed to put the interests of the American people and their security above your desire. What do you mean my desire? What what desire? Above your desire, Bernie Sanders and others, to... Uh, or you're unwilling to put their safety and security above your desire to sound like somebody who is open-minded, progressive, cosmopolitanist, and all the rest of it. Um, as I am I'm fond of pointing out to all of you, because I think it is important, you do not, there is no Hindu, Hindu phobia, there is no Buddha phobia, there is no Quaker phobia, there is no, you know, go down the list. These are not things that exist. And in, in the case of, uh, in the case of, for example, Buddhists in this country, you're talking about about a similar number of Buddhists to Muslims in this country. So you have the percentage of Buddhists by country, according to Pew Research. Yeah, here we go. Buddhism is, is a religion practiced by 488 million people in the world. Okay, so it's a little less than a third of the amount of Muslims in the world. But how many Buddhist terrorist attacks can you name off the top of your head? Mass casualty attacks against, and let's be clear. We live in America. We are most concerned with attacks against us and our immediate allies. We are. I mean, attacks anywhere are terrible, and humanitarian sympathy crosses any international boundary, to be sure. But from a security perspective, we are concerned first and foremost with our own security. Okay. So how many terrorist attacks can you name that involve Buddhists when there's almost 500 million of them around the world? Very few. Isn't that interesting? UT San Diego estimated that there were 1.2 million people, uh, U.S. practitioners, rather, of Buddhism. Uh, there's a huge community, by the way, that live in, in Southern California. That's why the uh, California system was looking at them. 
uh, looking at the numbers here. But the reality is that you have lots of people who come from other religious groups that are non-white, and yet there's no need for a phobia discussion because there's no problem. And people get sick of being told that they're just so racist. Yeah, there, there are 2.23 million Hindus in the United States. So that's comparable to... There are 3.3 million Muslims in the United States, according to 2016. So, you know, we're looking at relatively similar numbers here. Well, how many, you know, there was a, a terrible attack against a Sikh temple, but that wasn't perpetrated by a Sikh. It was anti-Sikh. It was, that was bigotry and hatred on display for all to see. But you'll notice this. It's not, it's not as though there's nothing behind the concern from within the Muslim population and to be constantly looked down upon by people as though any concern about Muslim terrorism really is just rooted in racism that rankles individuals, that upsets us, that's annoying. One, because it's untrue, and two, because it also shows that the primary concern for, and we're talking to people like Bernie Sanders here, the primary concern is not to defend this country, it's how do they look? Do they seem open-minded and tolerant? Are they able to call other people bigots and avoid charges of bigotry themselves? If that is your first and primary concern, I do not want to hear about how you care so much about national security. But then again, what does Bernie know about national security? He doesn't know anything. He just sort of walks around, talks, you know, socialist with a beach house or a lake house, I should say. It's ridiculous. It is utterly and completely ridiculous. But this is what goes on now. This is something that we all have to uh, have to deal with. Um, I also want to, so I want to move on to his next statement, though, because he also says some interesting stuff. And then we'll talk about nominees uh, as well. Here we go. Here's Bernie being Bernie. And that President Trump is backtracking on every economic promise that he made to the American people when he told workers and senior citizens he was not going to cut Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid. So what's going on right now, we're talking a whole lot about immigration. He is appointing Wall Street bankers, the same people he told us he would oppose to very high positions. Gary Cohn has gotten the $250 million severance package from Goldman Sachs. He's now the main financial advisor. So we're talking a whole lot about dividing the American people up. We're supposed to hate Muslims. We're supposed to hate Latinos. We're supposed to hate so you think all of this Meanwhile, is a shiny metal object? You think all of this is a shiny metal object right now to distract the public, divide the public? You got it. You got it. Meanwhile, meanwhile, he was going to clean the swamp. Remember that? You got it. You got it. Meanwhile, uh, no, actually. Okay, let's go back. First of all, no one's, no one is advocating for hatred of Muslims and no one is advocating for hatred. I shouldn't say, okay, this is where smarmy liberals can be, what do you mean? They point to some you know, storm front or some you know, white nationalist idiot somewhere with five people reading his blog. Okay, no one who matters and no critical mass of the U.S. population, no substantial contingent of the U.S. population is advocating for hatred against Muslims or hatred against Latinos. And that's just a that's just a slur. That's just slander from Bernie Sanders. And but but anyway, he's mixing all these things together. And then he's talking about how Trump and if Trump is going to betray his promises on the economy, I want to know about that because I'll have a problem with that. I'm not Trump, 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 no matter what. I I'm already a little annoyed that they're telling us that tax policy is going to get delayed as an issue. Really? Why? You, you can't you can't walk and chew gum at the same time with Obamacare repeal and borders and 
It's a pretty big government with a lot of power. I would think that they might be able to figure something out here. Uh, but you'll notice that he just he says that Trump made promises about Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid. And then he immediately pivots to and he's got these Wall Street guys working for him. Uh, OK, well, are we supposed to have career bureaucrats that are running the economy? I, I can tell you this. People that have never worked in the private sector uh, in any capacity have a different view of the private sector and what it means to get a paycheck and everything else. Um, so wh why would you not want individuals who have real background in the private sector trying to help with issues that directly affect the private sector? I, I would think that's rather straightforward. This is not this should not be surprising stuff, but they act like it is. And he acts like this is some sort of a complete sellout. Meanwhile, you've got guys like Steve Ratner, who is an American financier, who was a private equity guy, just like Mitt Romney, I should point out. Mitt Romney, the vulture capitalist. Oh, no. Uh, work, he, he worked for Obama and was a part of his uh, task force on, you know, keeping GM alive or whatever it was. So, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. Uh, yeah, he was, Ratner was appointed special counselor and lead advisor, according to Wikipedia here, to the United States Secretary of the Treasury as the car czar. So you get a private equity guy was the car czar, and all he did was come in and figure out a way to get the unions to get to the front of the line, break contracts with shareholders, with bondholders, I should say, in uh, GM. But, you know, Obama had plenty of rich hedge fund types around him. I mean, he also had a lot of campus radical professor types and, and you know, community organizer background uh, individuals. But the point is, uh, who are you going to bring in to work on the economy? People that only know the economy in a theoretical sense? You need to bring in professors from Oberlin and Hampshire? And yeah, they're really going to know how to turn things around. They really understand the American steel industry. I mean, you got to be kidding me. But this it's just with Bernie Sanders, I do think it's I at least give him the benefit of the doubt of it being somewhat in earnest. I think he believes this stuff. So I give him a little bit more slack than like Hillary Clinton, who is just disgusting. It goes down to Wall Street and is like, hey, guys, give me a lot of money. Don't worry, I've got I've got you covered. The big, big financial firms and their connection to government. That's untouchable. We got you covered. Don't worry about it. Dodd-Frank, you can pay the fine. You can pay the fees and the regulatory burden. Other people can't. Little guys can't. So it benefits you. But when I'm on the campaign trail as Hillary Clinton, being like, I hate Wall Street, um, then just understand that that's all for show and it's not real. And I, I don't want you to think that I'm in any way, shape or form actually, you know, trying to be difficult for you guys. You know, so I mean, Hillary was just, just an out and out fraud on these issues. Uh, at least Bernie, I think, believes some of what he says, uh, but he's wrong. And it's interesting, isn't it, that he points to he brings up entitlements and then he pivots to, well, there are Wall Street guys that are going to work for Trump. Who, who does he think is going to work for Trump? Who should be Treasury Secretary? Who, who should be involved with the, the Fed and, and involved with economic policy? Wonks who only know about the stuff in the classroom, who've never had to balance, uh, who never had to you know, look at a spreadsheet or look at a balance sheet. They've never had to deal with having employees and real, I mean, it's just, it's just madness. But this is what you get from you know, America's favorite Democrat socialist. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, they, 
still treat Bernie with such reverence. I, I think he's, and I don't say this to me mean, I think it's just accurate. I think he's an economic illiterate. I really do. Just doesn't understand the basics of supply and demand and anything else for that matter that involves economics. All right, team. Uh, 888-900-3393. Back in just a minute. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, team, welcome back. You know, I saw that there were a few more of these stores that have dropped Ivanka's line. Uh, I've just got to say, you know, this is we're supposed to take this now as coincidental that more stores there's there's a boycott movement that's out there that everybody's very much aware of. There's this boycott movement that's out there. And then there are a bunch of stores that are dropping Ivanka's line, and they want to tell us all, oh, uh, don't worry, it's fine. This has nothing to do with politics. It's just that it wasn't selling enough. That's remarkable timing that different sto- that stores will be pulling her products off the shelf within a couple of weeks of her father becoming president and this boycott movement hitting full swing. They were, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's totally totally about um it's about everything other than politics it has nothing to do with politics that's a real uh, yeah i really believe that one so again and then also by the way i saw that the same exercise studio that the owner in dc wanted to uh wanted to request a meeting with ivanka because like that's really what she just wants to take her exercise class lady she doesn't want you harassing her about some stupid Whatever it is you're going to say, you know, please respect our human rights. And these people are so annoying and sanctimonious and full of crap. Uh, but Michelle Obama used to go to that exercise studio and it was like celebrated. <laughs> so, of course, of course. So the first uh, the first lady under Obama goes to an exercise studio in D.C. and they're bragging about how awesome it is. And then the first daughter under the Trump administration goes and it's a cause for concern and there needs to be a meeting request. This is really becoming indicative of how unhinged, well, particularly all, all of the, the left has become in this country about any number of, of these issues, but they just need to get a grip on this stuff. Um, they have completely lost any sense of proportionality, and they're always trying to inflict their politics on everyone. It's just exhausting. It's exhausting to be reading about it. It's, it's certainly exhausting to be in New York and be around it. And now it's, of course, having an impact on products. Look, I wish that Trump people wouldn't get up there and do the whole ethics problem thing by saying, buy Ivanka's products. I mean, they don't make it easy for people like me to defend them, but I'm defending them because they should be defended because this stuff is nonsense. All right, team, we got more coming up. We'll be right back. This is The Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey team, it's Buck. Welcome back. Great to have you here with me in the Freedom Hut. I just want to remind you that tonight I'll be on 
live radio from uh, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern. It does run on the Blaze Radio Network, so keep it under the family. Uh, from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. If you want to listen on the Blaze Radio, you can listen there. But if you want to listen live on radio, uh, you can either tune in in your local station. You can check AmericanOutRadio.com uh, to find out what the stations that are covered under that. Uh, or you can just go to AmericanOutRadio.com and click Live Listen, and you're good to go. Uh, you can listen on your on your smartphone. You can listen uh, you know, on your computer. And you can obviously also download and play. Oh, i, sh- I got to stop saying download. You can play this show on demand by go to AmericanOutRadio.com slash podcast. So um, I have, there's a, a lot of, uh, well, SNL. Let's just let's just get right to this. SNL is generally not funny. The Spicer thing on, you know, everyone thought it was so funny with Spicy and everything. And I, look, I'll give Melissa McCarthy some credit where it's due. She, she did make that whole Sean Spicer thing pretty entertaining. I did see some reports uh, over the weekend that they were thinking about replacing Spicer, but that just sounds like rumors to me that that would look bad to get rid of your press secretary three weeks in. That, that would start to add some fuel to the oh my gosh, the Trump team doesn't know what they're doing, fire. I, I think you'd have a real problem there, for sure. But, uh, where were we on? Oh yeah, so the uh, the, the Trump team, uh, or Melissa McCarthy has been uh, push, has been really celebrated on the left because of her portrayal of Sean Spicer. I would just note though, that, and I, and I don't mean it, look, I, when it's funny, I like to say it's funny. And I, I'm, I promise you that I'm always trying to be self-aware about that because I think there's few things that annoy me more media than people who, and of course the left thinks nothing is funny except for uh, white males, Christians. There's a very small list. Anybody affiliated with the Trump administration, including women, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but funny should be funny. Funny should be one thing that brings us all together. There's something about humor that's, that's a commonality to humanity and that is so... There's such relief when we can all find humor in something. When something is truly funny, a few things are really more beautiful in, in the world of, of art than, than comedy and laughter, uh, than really taking joy and, and having a moment to just enjoy something that for its, its humor. And it should be a shared, non-political moment. And look, I understand there's, there's some joke. There are political jokes that are funny that everyone can laugh at, and there are political jokes that are mean and meant to undermine. An excellent example of funny political humor, in my opinion, um, because of the perspective that it took, was actually an SNL a little while ago, and it was on Black Jeopardy, which is a sketch they run on SNL, and they had Tom Hanks playing a white Trump supporter, and you saw it, and you thought they were going to just mock him as racist and stupid and everything else, and they did make him seem a little twangy and you know a little bit like he just came down from you know the the, the, the peaks of Appalachia or something, but there was a shared sense of the underdog with the black community and this Trump voter that came out in the sketch that made it something where we could all laugh. They weren't really laughing in a mean way at the Trump supporter, in my opinion. They were laughing at the circumstances of America and the situation, and it was funny. And it, and I, I tip my hat to them on that. It was, a, it was an entertaining sketch, and there was a warmth. Now, they did sort of turn, they kind of at the end started to bail a little bit on it, but there was a, a warmth that came across that it was okay for everybody to laugh. And I'm all in favor of that. And comedy, our comedians should be mocking the entire system. I mean, just think about this for a second. Comedians don't find much to be amused about when it comes to the uh, left-wing nuttery craziness that is going on on campuses. Uh, they, They don't find anything that is... 
uh, uh, is amusing about that. They don't find anything that's amusing about these little whiny protesters everywhere that don't know anything about these anarchist black block protesters who all live in their parents. You know, I would say their basements are really, first of all, a lot of these finished basements in the suburbs are way nicer than my apartment. So I'm kind of jealous. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? They, 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 there's nothing funny about any of that. And there's nothing to be mocked about Hillary Clinton or no, they'll make jokes, but they won't mock. There is a difference. Mockery is not laughing with it is laughing at Republicans get mocked. Uh, Democrats get joked around with. And, you know, SNL, I guess they just figure their audience is primarily coastal anyway. And, you know, it's like their audience is, you know, D.C., New York, Boston, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco, Miami. You know, that's their audience, right? That's their primary audience. So they don't really care. Uh, They don't care that they are leaving out a huge part of the country and they've taken it up as a very political mission. And we're going to see more of this, too, because a part of it is laziness, because I think it's easy to make these kinds of jokes. And also part of it is really ideologically driven. But they did this sketch over the weekend that is a, it really highlights the divide between how they make jokes about Republicans and how they make jokes about Democrats. And it's it's indicative of a wider mentality, a broader mentality that you can really say anything you want about the Trump people and it's totally fine. And there's no line to cross. You can be as nasty as you want. And so here is, and they, they, they've got, uh, Jake Tapper is coming off of his show. This is from the sketch on SNL. And Kellyanne Conway, the Trump senior counselor, is waiting for him like a stalker. It's very clear this is supposed to be a stalker, a stalker situation. You know, it's very similar to the sort of the vibe in um, Single White Female, if you've ever seen that movie, which is a, you know, terrifying movie. Here's what Jake Tapper this remember this is an SNL. I forget the guy's name. He's playing Jake Tapper, but the sketch is Jake Tapper meeting Kellyanne Conway in his apartment, and here's how the exchange goes. What's I supposed to do? You weren't answering my calls. You changed your number. I'm not going to be ignored. You don't get it, Kellyanne. You made up a massacre. We can't have you on. But I missed the news. I'm gonna get miked. I wanna feel that hot black mic pressed up against my skin. Is this the tie you wore in the news today? Smells like good news. You taste the news in your face, do you? Kellyanne, no! We can't have you on TV if you're just gonna keep lying! Okay, fine. I'll do something else. I'll do something really crazy. What if I do a free commercial for Ivanka's shoes? Live on air. Like that, baby. What? No. So there's a you can get you get a sense of it. I mean, there's a lot of a lot to talk about here in terms of the way that first of all, she's a crazy stalker. She pulls out a knife. She's clearly being depicted as somebody who is unhinged. Uh, there's a lot of I wouldn't even say sexual innuendo, sort of sexualized content if you, when you watch it on the video side. And they just never would have done this to and what are they what are they even basing this on that she's a spokesperson for the Trump administration? I mean, think about this. There's nothing there's been nothing that you know, never mind. You look at the Clintons and the, you know the uh, Anthony Weiner and you know people like that who have real sex scandals as politicians surrounding them. Uh, she's been perfectly respectable and has done nothing in all, in any way shape or form that would warrant this kind of um kind of farcical treatment and look if it was funny 
and it wasn't malevolent. It wasn't there weren't mean intentions. I'd be the first to be like, yeah, it's pretty funny. Oh, what I was going to say about Melissa. I'm sorry, I'm jumping around for Melissa McCarthy. Everyone talked about this Sean Spicer thing, but then when she, you know, she made a joke. She made a. I saw it again, and I'd missed it really the first time because I was just sort of caught up in the first time watching of it. But she made a joke about the Holocaust, and then she said something about uh, gypsies, and uh, I forget what it was, something else. And then she essentially did a, unless I'm mistaken here, uh, an impersonation of a disabled person. You know, made a sort of noise that a that a person who has a uh, m- mental health disability, or, or not a mental, just a mental disability. Uh, she made a a noise that. Um, is a no-no was my understanding that we don't we don't make fun of people with that sort of handicap or disability because it's not funny and it's just mean and it's it's mean spirited and it's not okay and she they they she got a total pass on it which I thought was interesting because that's even for the left usually supposed to be something of a red line that you don't make fun of uh, mentally disabled people uh, you don't make fun of people that have uh, you don't make fun of people who have Down syndrome. You don't make fun of people who have handicap. And also the fact that the joke was in the context of the Holocaust. I mean, it really wasn't funny. And no one seemed to care because the whole purpose of the thing was to just make fun, just to mock and ridicule the Trump people, in this case, Sean Spicer. And so they gave her a pass on that. I was think about go back and watch it. You'll see what I mean. There's a moment where she makes it. It's clear that there's a... Um, uh, she's making fun of people who either have uh, Down syndrome or a similar condition. And there's just nothing funny about that. It's not okay. Uh, and I'm not, I don't like to go around and scold people for humor. I think humor should be edgy. But that that's, act, that's one of the few places where politically correct is right. And one of the few places where there really does need to be a sensitivity and an added protection. You don't make fun of people with mental handicaps. It's just, that's never funny. It's never okay. And she got away with it. I, I, you know, I think and I didn't hear anybody bring this up. And I kind of was sitting there watching this thinking to myself, why wasn't this uh, more annoying to people? Why didn't they have a problem with this? Anyway, the Kellyanne Conway thing uh, just gets crazier and crazier until she she pulls a knife out. She assaults Jake Tapper. I um, mean, here, I'll play, here, we've got some more of the, uh, the audio here. I just want to do my polls again. Okay, 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 I'll text Fareed Zakaria. You can go on his show. Fareed Zakaria? Okay. I have an office in the okay. f***ing okay. White House. Okay. What about the girl Do I look like Kaylee McEnany to you? <laughs> then why are you trying to f*** me like I'm Kaylee McEnany? Uh, okay, okay, you can go on her show. Whatever you want, you win. Whatever you want. <laughs> look, that was on, this is on the Blaze website right now, on theblaze.com right now. Uh, you heard that audio. We bleeped out the curse, but Kaylee's a friend. Kaylee's a news commentator. Kaylee's a really nice and decent and smart human being. Do you, do you think that? She, do you think that that's think think about that? That the comment that was just made there. I, I'm sitting here, kind of aghast. Now I, I know there's the different versions of well, Buck, you shouldn't talk about it because it gives it more attention. But well, no, it's on SNL and everyone's already talking about it and. I think that this is indi- this isn't a slip up. This is indicative of this much more widespread mentality that anything to make fun of any Trump people, anyone affiliated with Trump, 
is completely okay. All the rules go out the window. Uh, this sketch of Kellyanne Conway, this this com- is, you know so-called comedy sketch, is really di- it is really disrespectful. It's really nasty. It's not nice. It's not funny. And just imagine for a second that you had a very prominent woman in the uh, in the Obama administration. Uh, imagine a very prominent. Imagine they did some sketch of Valerie Jarrett showing that she was mentally unstable and violent and crazy and sexualized. Think about what the outrage meter would hit on that one. Why is this so different? There's a million things you can do. There's a million ways you can make fun of Kellyanne Conway that I even think she would find amusing. But even if she didn't find it amusing, I think the rest of us could. This is not one of them. And it's up on the blaze.com right now. You see this story and it's really crass and it's wrong. And they have all week. Remember, this is a sketch comedy, so they have all week to think about this stuff and write the lines, and they know it's nationally televised. I hesitate to use words like offensive because I have a pretty high bar for offensive, but yeah, Melissa McCarthy, with the, that noise that she made that's representative of people with a mental handicap, that was just wrong. And she totally, and I, I admit, I missed it really the first time, or I wasn't paying it. I didn't, it was kind of was a, it was, almost given as a very quick near throwaway line in the sketch. But if you watch it again, you'll see what I mean. But with this Kellyanne Conway thing, why does anyone think that, how could anyone think that this is okay? How could anyone think that this is the way that a nationally televised sketch comedy show should depict a very senior female member of the current administration, White House employee, they would never have done this to a Democrat. They'd never have done this to Hillary Clinton, who you have a lot more to go with there in terms of malfeasance and craziness and everything else, no question. They would have never done this to Hillary Clinton and that they do it to Kellyanne Conway and the crassness, and they brought Kelly McEnany's name into it. It's And I know that some people say, oh, well, they should just say it's amusing and move on from there. No, this is wrong. These people are gross who do these kinds of things, uh, and it's wrong. All right, team. Uh, more coming. Be right back. Let your voice be heard. Hello. 888-900-3393. On the Blaze Radio Network. Well, team, that is going to be uh, pretty much the show for today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to having as many of you as can uh, join me tomorrow. Uh, join me tonight, rather. Whoa, uh, join me tonight uh, because we're going to be live six to nine Eastern. AmericanOutRadio.com is where you go if you don't have the station in your area. Uh, maybe some of you would like to email your local station program director and be like, hey, what have we got at 6 p.m. on the station? I like, maybe you should make Buck Sexton that station. I'm just saying. Um, and also, if you want to listen on demand, you go to AmericanHourRadio.com slash podcast. Uh, I was on Fox News this morning. I think I'm going to be on today in the 2 o'clock hour with Trish Reagan. I was on Fox Business, I should say, uh, from 6 to 9 a.m., and then I should be on Fox Business again, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern on Thursday. At least that's the plan for right now. So Buck's going to be doing a bunch of 
TV, uh, which is always fun. And of course, every day here, 12 to 2 on the Blaze Radio Network. And if you want to listen to my other show on the Blaze Radio Network, you can go 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Uh, every night. The show will be played on the Blaze Radio Network uh, night of the show. Thank you, as always, for joining me here. Really excited to continue this awesome radio journey that we've been on together for a few years and to expand it and do all these other exciting things that i got planned. So uh, please download today's podcast, share it with some friends. You can go on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And until tomorrow, until next time, my friends, as always, no matter what, Shield Time. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.